Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I'm your host, Technicia, and I'm glad to have everyone here today on the Bright Side with Technicia. It's a wonderful weather today in Georgia. But, of course, we probably won't have this weather like this for long because we're supposed to begin some more cold weather coming up. I tell you, our weather's bipolar. One minute is up, one minute is down. Oh, you never know what to wear if you're living here in Georgia. But, of course, if you're on the live with me, welcome. If you're on Blog Talk Radio, welcome. Listen to the replay. Share this with others. I appreciate you for getting the word out it's always good to get the message out. On this show, we interview real-life people who have real experiences. This is no script. This is all real. You get it right now live. And don't be afraid. Call in at 347-426-3751. I am here with Caroline Hauser, German-trained naturopathic doctor, humanistic psychotherapist, and Family Constellations Facilitator. is the author of the book, Blossom, Seven Steps to Sexual Healing, and the upcoming book, The Pleasure IQ. Uh, internationally recognized speaker and teacher on the subject of spirituality, healing, and women's empowerment for almost two decades. Caroline combines her knowledge to help women and brave men to have abundant, love-filled lives that flow with a sense of ease. Her work is based on the intersection of where the human body and experience and even ancestral trauma and shows how each individual's authentic and true self is the source of one's own good, a place of unlimited abundance, creativity, courage, and joyful existence. Caroline currently lives with her divine partner and soulmate, Paul, and her two beautiful children in sunny Santa Barbara, California, from where she teaches, speaks, and travels to host healing retreats all over the world. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Caroline Hauser onto the show. Caroline, thank you for being here with us today. We'll pre- I appreciate you for taking the time out to do this. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. So how's your day going so far? Uh, it's early. I basically just rolled out of bed an hour ago, <laughs> so good so far. <laughs> I know, I know that's right. I feel the same way. I think I got up about 6.30 this morning. I had to get my girls off to school, so I definitely know what that feels like. And obviously, it's hard to go right back to sleep when you get up so early like that. So, Car- Caroline, what inspired you to write this book, Blossom? My story is a, is, is a little interesting because um, – my healing didn't start with, so the book is about sexual healing, but my healing journey actually didn't start there. I had eating disorders, bulimia and anorexia, very severely from, it started when I was 10, and then I finally was able to overcome it right around um, my early 20s. And so my healing journey really started with battling those eating disorders, and that set me onto a path of really wanting to learn 
about healing. I had um, find a modality, family constellation, that had basically saved my life because I had tried everything, every modality, therapy. Um, my mom actually even took me, she didn't take me to India, but we had an Indian saint visiting in Germany and she took me there and made sure I got an audience and I get I, with him and I got blessed by the Indian saint. And I mean, we tried everything to, you know, to, to, to for me to get better and nothing helped. And then in my early 20s, um, my mom found family constellations and took me to a workshop and basically that, that one weekend changed my life forever. And so I didn't, at that point, I was still kind of just waiting tables and didn't know what to do with my life. And um, one night, uh, one night, a friend of my friend visited and we just got to talking and I shared with him what had just happened to me. And he said, oh, my God, if, if this if this has been possible for you, you need to learn this. You need to make this your life's work. And so then I looked into, you know, how do people basically learn about alternative healing and I became one of the youngest naturopathic doctors in Germany and and humanistic psychotherapist. And so by the time I was in my late 20s, I really thought I had worked through everything because when you when you study to become a healer, you basically, you know, you work with all your stuff. And my mom would, would joke, well, half joke always. She'd always say, oh, you know, other people go to work to make money. You just go to work and work on yourself. When are you going to be done? When are you going to start making money? <laughs> you know, it just can't go you on You never forever. be done working on yourself. You're never done working on yourself. It's a learning process as we grow. Yeah. But for me, I was literally, I was not, like, I was really not working and making money. I was just spending all my time traveling and working on myself. That's how, right. you know, how how obsessed I was with it. And then by the, by the time I was in my late 20s, I, you know, I was like, I've worked through everything. I'm done. I know all of this. And um, I actually had gotten married and had had my first child, my daughter. And... Um, then with her turning three, all of a sudden memories of early childhood sexual abuse came kind of flooding back and really threw me for a hoop because, like I said, I, I thought I had worked through everything. And um, luckily I had a, a spiritual teacher at the time that I was following and I kind of reached out to him in, in, in my despair and talked to him and he just said, you know, if this is coming back to you now at this time, it probably really has to do with, with your purpose. So again, somebody said, you know, like, well, you know, this is happening. Maybe this is part of your purpose. So I've had angels put into my life that's kind of helped me guide along the way. And so out of that, then the book was born because I had always known that I wanted to write a book. My my role models were Marion Williamson and Neil Donald Walsh and um, Jack Canfield and, and people like that. And so I always wow. knew that I wanted to write a book. I just never knew on what and then um it became really clear that my first be- book needed to be um basically not a doc- not a, a autobiography or a documentation but a real healing journey that I took myself through and I took other people through and then I wow. created the book from that that's how the book was born well I'm glad that she was able to come forward and tell us of your story that's hard for a lot of women who go through sexual traumas in their life to actually be able to tell the world, hey, this actually happened to me. This is what went on. I mean, those types of things a child should never experience at a young age that you you went through, that you're capable of telling other people it's okay. You went through this. It, you're not, nothing is wrong with you. And that's sort of what I felt from reading in the beginning of the book. It's nothing wrong with you. You'll feel like you shut out from the world. Why is this going on? What's wrong with my life? Something feels off, but it's actually not. And as you said, Caroline, you 
you have to work on yourself. That's a do process that takes for years for us to work on ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I'm, I'm, I feel like this. If a lot of people do that, you will probably be nine times out of ten a much better person if you take the time out to reevaluate your own life and work solely on you mentally and physically, emotionally. It takes time. Now, Carolyn, get to my next question. We're so focused on this Me Too movement. It's been discussed all nationwide with all the sexual cases going on in the government, everything. Why is the Me Too movement just the beginning? Um, Because for real healing to occur, um, something else needs to happen, right? It's a really, really good first step to actually say this happened and to come out and maybe even to get angry because it, it, it helps us as a collective and the individual to get out of the shame and the guilt. Shame and guilt are very low vibrational, very negative energies that will keep you stuck and make you sick and actually lead to, you know, they're, they're not life-giving. So they're really life-destroying energies. And so with it coming to light, the shame and guilt has, has lessened a little bit. But for us to actually feel good and thrive, we need to get to a much different place and, um, you know, a lot of people right now are also stuck still in the hurt and the anger. And so it's a mm-hmm. great first step, but what needs to happen is really healing, and, and that looks differently. It sure does. And speaking of self, Caroline has different lessons that you can actually go through that will help you with your healing process. Caroline, do you mind just taking a step a little bit for the listeners on, your, on the seven-step journey to healing? Yes. And so BLOSSOM is actually an acronym. It's, it's a seven-step journey, and the steps are broken down in weeks. So there's seven weeks in a lesson for every day around the, the topic for the week um, so that you can really spend every day learning about the step. And the first step is B, bring your mind on board, which has to do with overcoming resistance. Anytime we want to change, um, our subconscious kind of gets in the way because the job of our subconscious basically is to keep us safe. And to the subconscious, what we know is safe. Even if it's, you know, a misery, even if it's feeling bad, even if it's depression, maybe even still being in an abusive situation, even if it's self-abuse, you know, oftentimes we perpetuate internally the abuse. Um, it's still known. And so the, the healing journey always is asking to go somewhere where you haven't gone before. And so it's imperative to let the subconscious know kind of what the journey ahead looks like so it can come on board and let you actually do the work to heal. And then the second step has to do with landing within yourself because the actual healing has to do with using your body as an instrument to transmute, transmute or transform negative energy that has gotten stuck within your body and within your system into positive energy. And so in the second step, you're learning how to just be in your body. So it's kind of like a, 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 a pre-training for doing the actual integration work. And then the third step is opening to intuition. You know, a lot of the time when you've gone to abuse, what goes out the window first is the feeling of, of safety, the feeling that you're actually okay in this life. And it comes from us disconnecting from our, our higher self, from our, our, the part of us that knows um, and is connected to everything that's good for us. And our intuition is that connection. 
And again, the intuition really um, speaks in our body. It doesn't, it's not a voice that we hear in our head, so to speak. And so um, learning to listen to your intuition is a really crucial step in you learning to be safe again. And then the fourth step is to see with your eyes of truth. This is a step where I get a lot of flack oftentimes because it's, it's really misunderstood. What it is about is has to do with really seeing, um, seeing the situation for what it is. And what I mean by that is that I believe, and this is just my belief in what I've come to in my own journey and what has helped me um, to move forward, that I came into this world wanting to have a certain experience. I wanted to learn about my power, and I wanted to learn about being a powerful co-creator with the universe. And so in my case, my soul set it up in a way where I basically gave my power away very early in my life so that I could learn about how I do that and how I empower myself. And so in my case, seeing with the eyes of truth was seeing that, you know, yes, this was horrible and it was not right and so forth, but also my soul wanted this because I wanted to have a very specific lesson and I have big plans in this life, and, and I needed to go to this, level, this, this lesson for me to be who I am today. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that each and every one who's gone through what they've gone through, it was necessary for you to become the person that you are today. And so this is about taking responsibility, but not in a way where, oh, this happened and it was your fault. You, know, you brought this onto you because you were in the wrong place at the time or maybe you were drunk or maybe you wore the wrong clothes or maybe you were hung with the wrong people. That's not what, what taking responsibility means. What taking responsibility means is, okay, this happened. Let me not stay in victimhood with it where I'm using it and saying, oh, this happened to me and therefore my life is destroyed now. No, let me let me shift it into... Yes, this happened. Why did it happen? What 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 good could come from it for me? How can I be a better person because of it? And let me use that to step into my own power and become who I had intended to be and who I'm meant to be, which is, you know, a powerful person who has a life that feels good and fulfilling, filled with love and abundance and where you are really giving your gift and living your full purpose. Love, and then, I'm glad you and I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that, Caroline. It's hard after you go through a sexual trauma, which mm-hmm. uh, according to the C D C they mentioned in their report that nearly one in five women in the US are raped or sexual assault at some point in their life. And it's often by someone we know and that we believe that we can that we can trust. And it makes you feel trapped. You don't feel that safe place anymore when somebody takes your innocence away. And as you said, Caroline, you don't feel that point in your mind, well, hey, I wore, I wore this short skirt or maybe I, I seem provocative. No, we're not going to put the blame on ourselves. Don't do that. And this goes for men, too, in this situation because it happens just to men. It's just not an open topic on men as much because we feel that, oh, he's masculine. Hey, Little boys, too. All this is, Caroline is focusing on guys and the females, as I mentioned in the introduction. It's not just for women. And we don't want you to have that guilt trap that, hey, you're you're to blame for what happened or believe that you're dirty. No. 
it's important to remember that what you're experiencing is a normal reaction to trauma. Exactly. Yeah, and what, and what I really want listeners to take away from is that when trauma happens, any kind of trauma, not the sexual, it's essentially like there's too much energy, too much negative energy that got projected into your body. The healing really has to do with learning how to slowly but surely metabolize this energy to kind of um, literally like transmute it out of your body and out of your system, right? A lot of time people think that healing has to do with processing the emotions and reliving the trauma and doing forgiveness work and and all of that. And that's why it's scary and why most people don't want to go there. When in reality, it is a much gentler approach because you literally just work with the energy in your body. You can just work with the energy in your body without having to go into the emotions, without having to go into the story, without having to go back or um, reliving the actual trauma. I remember in my own, so, so a lot of, there's many, many good therapists out there, and then there's a lot of therapists who actually do not really know how to deal with actual trauma, trauma, right? And so in my own journey, you know, I've, I've gone to people and um, some people really think that um, by kind of confronting the issue, I had people who were kind of forcing my legs apart because they, they felt very strongly that was a good approach for me to get in touch with those feelings. That was horrible. It was horrific. It was re-traumatizing. Right? So the, the, obviously there's... Um, there is caution to be had with who you work with because if people mm-hmm. don't know how to work with it, it can be hugely re-traumatizing. Um, the approach that, that I'm taking and that I've you know been teaching thousands of people now really has to do with working with your finer energy system and using um, daily triggers, normal triggers, to help your brain reset itself. When, when trauma happens, you literally your brain chemistry gets altered. You know the studies also show that somebody who's gone to trauma has a much harder time in holding relationships, holding a steady job, just in, in general creating a better life. Is more prone to depression um, and and to to life in, in poverty, right? And it is because when trauma happens, your brain chemistry gets altered, and you get put in a place of um, where your survival brain basically rules. And when your survival brain rules, you're literally are not capable of having creative ideas or seeing things for what they truly are because all you see is how can I survive this? You know, how can I make sure I'm safe? Instead of, oh, what could I do to make it better? How could I make it easier for myself? How could I have a great life? Those questions, you know, they're when you're in survival, those questions are not um, not even possible because you're literally just trying to survive. And so it seems well, like your life, you know, it seems like your life makes it so that you're constantly in survival, but it's actually your brain. Right. It like seems like that makes it hard to even... Um, Carolyn, it seems like that makes it hard to even have a relationship because you're always in survival mode. Mm-hmm. And that's why I agree with you in the beginning. By you working on yourself, that's why you have to, coming from something of that much trauma, you have to work on yourself before you even begin a new relationship because you don't want to bring that in. Hold on, wait, don't touch me. Don't do this and that. Now, okay, because that kind of deters the person away. But, Carolyn, I want to ask this. What is your take on carcetic or carcetic? 
um, healing. So, you know, I shared about my experience a little bit, cathartic healing. So basically, you know, cathartic healing means for you to allow yourself to go into the emotion and express it. And I think a lot of people think that with sexual abuse survivors, the suppressed emotion is rage and anger. And I've actually found that that's somewhat true, but for the most part, it's utter confusion. And so in cathartic healing, you know, there's been... Um, practices where you are encouraged to hit a pillow or strangle something, destroy something physically, basically let the emotion out. And it can feel really, really liberating and free when you do that. But in terms of the nervous system and your brain, it actually does not heal it because it just reinforces the trauma and the traumatic energy. And so I, while, you know, it can feel empowering and in actuality in terms of long-term healing, it is not and so I'm I'm cautioning people from, you know, really, exp- obviously, if you have been completely repressed, expressing your feelings is a step in the right direction. Just like coming out with the Me Too movement and saying, hey, this happened to me, is the right step, in, it's a step in the right direction. But the actual healing comes from learning to contain the energy that the emotion creates and then work with it. And actually, then the fifth step, step in the book teaches you how to do that. Um, the way I look at the whole healing journey is, we are, and we are, everything is energy in the universe. We are made of energy, and there is low vibrational energies and there is high vibrational energies. And this can actually be measured. It's very scientific. Low vibrational energies have to do with shame, guilt, anger, fear, things that don't feel good generally. And when we are vibrating at that level our life experience reflects a lot of these emotions, basically. We interpret these vibrations as emotions. When we get ourselves into a more high vibrational state, um, above a vibration of 200, for example, as above courage, our life starts to change. We start attracting different things. We start having better jobs. We start having better relationships. We start making more money. We start just feeling better. Our body gets healthier. We think different thoughts. So rather than working with trying to to change our emotions or trying to change our thoughts, when we put our focus on learning how to change our energy, all of this other stuff falls into place. And so in, in, in a way, it makes it really simple in terms of healing, right? You don't need 500 different things. We really need to just focus on learning how to work with your own energy. And the beautiful thing about that is that is also your place of power because we don't have power over people outside of ourselves. We don't have power over the circumstances. You know, we don't rule the universe, but we kind of rule over our, over our own self and our own body. And, and we rule over the level that we vibrate at. Once we know it, you know, we can start learning. And so the sixth step is learning about, the energy more and learning about the masculine and feminine. And actually, you know, yes, obviously when you're in a relationship and you don't work on your stuff, it creates problems. But also relationships are a really good place where the healing can occur if you're conscious. And so the sixth and the seventh step in your book teaches you how to be in relationship and how to use your relationship, how to include your partner, how to communicate so that you, through the mirror of the other, you can start seeing what you still need to 
integrate or release, basically. And so I do think, you know, um, relationships um, are very useful in our own healing journey. It's easier to stay stuck and not work on yourself when you're by yourself because um, you're not rubbing off on somebody else, right? When you're rubbing off on somebody else, you can't kind of hide all the stuff. It, it brings it to the surface. And then the trick is to realize that it's not the, it's not the other person. It's your stuff that you're projecting onto them and then learning how to work with that. Right. G- great points you made, Caroline. And we have to stop doing that. Quit jumping in relationships when you're damaged yourself. Work on yourself first. And as you said, you have to love it. You got to love self. You have to love love for itself, really. And love yourself. Mm-hmm. That's mainly the point that we're making. So, Caroline, what is the most crucial first step when it actually comes to healing from sexual abuse? The most crucial step is really to stop um, stop blaming and stop being in a victim mentality and really um, taking your power back and knowing that while it can feel like you're broken, while it can feel like somebody stole your innocence, in, in reality, we're all eternal spiritual beings and that are here having a, an amazing experience in physical form. And so you, you can't be destroyed. What's, what's gotten destroyed is your connection, the connection between your soul and your spirit. And you are the only one that can mend it. That's, that is so true. And it, it takes time, too. But you, I, everything you're saying, I agree with you because I remember an interview with Gabrielle Union, which she has a book out, too, and she was raped at a very young age. And she mentioned that you have to take your power back. You're only giving them the power. Of course, they're out somewhere else doing this, damaging someone else's life. And it's so many women that have been abused and mentally challenged out here because of that. And these idiots, I like to call them idiots, they're out here thinking they won, I did this, I did that. Hey, I went through the same experience with my mom's boyfriend, and it made them feel like they have that control over you. But you have to speak to yourself. Like Michael Jesse said, I'm talking to the man in the mirror. You got to talk to that man in the mirror and say, hey, you don't have any control over here. This is my life. You're not going to win whatsoever. You have to fight, ladies and jets. Like I said, we're not forgetting about the guys as well. So how can survivors stop feeling so damaged or broken by the abuse, Caroline? Because I know you said don't feel damaged, but to me it seems like it's a mental thing. It's hard to get over that. Yeah, so the moment that you realize that it's not about the other person. It is really about you and the choices that you make moving forward and learning about your own energy. It it, it gets out of the the psychological and mental realm. Right? And we think that the reason why we're so trapped and ha- why we are having these emo- uh, thoughts is because of the negative emotions. Okay. One negative emotion creates thousands and thousands of the same thoughts. Right, so and, and actually it doesn't even create it. There 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 is fields basically around us that are connected to different energy levels. And so the lower I, I, I imagine them like clouds. So there's a cloud that is connected to shame and all the thoughts that go with shame kind of thinking. And then there's a cloud that's connected to fear and all the thoughts that we would think, you know, that are connected to fear. And so when I start vibrating at a level of let's say vibrational level, let's say of twenty five. 25 is actually the vibration of um, shame and guilt. 
then I go into resonance. Basically, it's like I tune myself in. It's almost like turning the radio dial onto 25. And then all I can hear in my head is that talk that's connected to that frequency. So there are not even, they're not even my own thoughts. They're just the thoughts that go in resonance with this emotional state. So that means when I change my emotional state, I also tune into a different frequency. I, I switch on a different radio station. So let's say you get yourself a space where you feel angry, which is much better, much higher. I, I don't know exactly, but I think anger is at maybe 70 or something. All of a sudden, you you know, you feel like I can fight this and I have some power. It's not true power yet, but mm-hmm. you feel like you have more power. Now, let's say you get you a courage, which is 200. All of a sudden, you think, oh, man, maybe I can feel better. Maybe I can let this go. Maybe this wasn't bent. Maybe this didn't damage my life after all. And then maybe wow. you get at a space where you feel hope, which is even higher. And then, and then you get to a space where maybe you start feeling acceptance. And then when you're in acceptance, this thing doesn't have you in its grip anymore, right? Because at acceptance, you're thinking the thoughts that you're resonating with, the radio station that you're dialed into, are completely different because you have become a different person. Right? So it's actually not about doing psychological work and trying to figure this out psychologically and mentally. It really has to do with just learning different tools that will help you get yourself into different vibration. And so there's many, many tools and things that you can do, like eating better, exercising, um, wow. doing things that make you feel good. Wow. You know, maybe it's swimming for you. Maybe it's taking a shower. Um, learning to prioritize, and this, you know, this is actually what my, sec- my next book is about, learning to prioritize things that give you pleasure or that make you feel good because when you do that you automatically focus on getting into a higher vibrational space so it has nothing to do with processing you know or um, mentalizing or inner dialoguing or anything like that does that make sense it makes it, make it's actually, it, it actually can be a, it actually can be a lot of fun right figuring out you know what what makes you tick and what feels good to you yeah, you have to get out there, get back into those activities. That helps too. Talk to someone, get your issues out. You keep, because no matter what, even if you don't talk about it, it still has happened. It still exists. And I felt like that once upon in my time. I wouldn't say I was sexually abused, but it was the little takes from my stepfather knocking on my door, the little sexual gestures the certain words he would tell. So I was just fed up. I knew at the age of 12, I'll say, okay, wait a minute. It doesn't sound right. I'm going to go tell someone. Because at certain points of my life, I still felt like I was under the influence of this man who tried to break me, no matter what I try to do. And I know ladies, men out there, you feel like, do they really have that much power on me? Sometimes they can. I have a girlfriend who's going through it, through this, um, through the abuse, and now her children are with this man, and it makes you feel lost because there's nothing you could do. The court system gave her children over to this abuser, and they and they have a psychological issue. When they go that far, it's a it's something psychologically going on up here. They are mentally challenged, and you're dealing with 
you're dealing with almost like a child. They'll lie to you and say, oh, I didn't do this. Oh, wait a minute. I, I don't recall. You said, and it's like, okay, wait a minute. What world am I living in? They'll play on your emotion, have you going crazy. And it, it brought her down so much, Caroline, that I forgot what type of disease she told me that she had. But they had to take a part of her thigh from her to to get her well. And it's, it's so much emotional stress. And I, that's why I say I'm glad mm-hmm. to have Caroline on to talk about this because this will this will have you somewhere where you think you're actually crazy. But Caroline is telling you, mm-hmm. not today. This Me Too movement with the women and, and others are doing out here, this is real. And we're here to help you. But we're going to help you some more. We're going to take a short commercial break. We're going to come back with Caroline. We're going to get into more discussion. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. Thought it was over? Not yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Blog Talk Radio, baby. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who... Worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone... Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. All right, I am back with Caroline, and we're having a wonderful discussion. And I'm very appreciative to have her on. She is a she has written a award-winning book, Blossom. If you're just tuning in, Seven Steps to Sexual Healing. She is a German-trained naturopathic doctor, humanistic psychotherapist, and family consultation facilitator, and is an internationally recognized speaker and teacher on the subjects of women's empowerment spirituality, relationships, and emotional healing for almost two decades. And this is what she does. She shows you the authentic and true self of one's own good. So if you're looking at the replay, please make sure you share it with your friends and your family because we want the message to get around. Now, from your understanding, Caroline, what is one of the main, main blocks to healing? One of the main blocks is really feeling like you got, you know, you're broken and there's nothing that you can do. And also the shame and guilt that comes with having gone through having gone through what you've gone through. Hmm. Wow. Now, you say sexual abuse is not just a psychological problem. Can you tell us a little more in regards to that one? Yes. So the the reason why it's not just or much less of a psychological problem is, as I said, because it really isn't. It, when the energy of the trauma, so when when a traumatic event happens, 
you know, we're very scared or very afraid or very confused. And so there's a lot of negative energy that gets generated in our body that never gets released, right? It just kind of gets stuck into our body. And it it literally impacts our physical nervous system. I always give the the image of imagine that your your body is a house. And when trauma happens, it's like lightning striking a house. And so when, mm-hmm. when uh, um, lightning strikes a house, you know, the circuits in the house melt and then the oh. electricity doesn't flow correctly anymore. The appliances don't work. The, the circuits are maybe melted and broken and maybe catch on fire. And so it is literally like that with your nervous system, right? Parts of your nervous system literally get fried. And so then the life energy, life force, your creative energy cannot circulate within your system properly anymore and you cannot function. And so it really takes, when you, when you can understand that, then you can take it out of the psychological realm. You know, it is important, like you said, to have friends and to share with people because we need the connection. But the talking will not heal the, the, the fried parts of your nervous system. Only actually learning how to be in your body and feeling those parts, feeling them as physical sensations, will mend the, those parts. And sometimes I give people the, the image of imagine that within your system there, within your body, like, you know, we have the veins and arteries where there's blood flowing. And then we have mm-hmm. energy and the nervous system, their energy um, lines basically that go through your body they're not hypothetical they're not esoteric they're real measurable electric energy currents that run through your body and so imagine that the lines that this current runs on because of the trauma parts of it get frozen and so the energy can't run through it anymore and the only way to unblock this 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 line basically or this you know the yeah the the, the wire so to speak is by learning how to thaw the ice. And you, you do the thawing by putting your attention on sensations that emotions create in your body. And I know this sounds a little complicated, so I've actually created a, a free gift that's like an audio that people can take themselves through where I take them okay. through the process. And that's, that's available on my website as a free gift. Oh, great. Um, Thank you, Karen. Yeah. I'm sure the gift, they would definitely appreciate that. What would you say going through all this, how can a woman or even a man feel safe again with the opposite sex? You can feel safe when you learn how to trust your own intuition. So, you know, we, when, when something like this happens, we lose trust in ourselves first and foremost, right? We blame ourselves and we completely mm-hmm. lose trust in ourselves. And we disconnect from, from the part of us that would keep us safe. And so learning to learning to know what your intuition sounds like and then actually practicing following it will help you feel safe on one hand. And then on the other hand, learning to help your brain, right? We don't feel safe because our brain is in fight or flight. It's constantly in an alerted kind of like, oh my God, there's danger around every corner kind of state. And so through breathing and through other activities, you can actually learn to help your brain relax. And listening, listening to your intuition when you're learning that is also a way of relaxing your brain. And when I'm saying relaxing your brain, so there's three parts to our brain. The bottom, kind of where, you, where the neck meets the, the head, in the, you know, in the back of your head. Um, you can put your hand there. That's the lower, lowest part of the brain where the, all the information from 
the nerves that come from the periphery come in here. Um, that's the reptilian brain. That's the oldest brain. That's the brain that makes sure that we're surviving. Like it, it, it does our breathing, it does our digestion, and also makes sure that we're, when there's a, a life threat, that we are able to react and instinctively and protect ourselves. For the most part, no. you know, this is not a brain that should run our life. But when you have had trauma, this brain will, will make most decisions for you without you even knowing. And so that's the part that needs to relax because the midbrain and the higher brain is where we are resourceful, where we have ideas, where we, where we, have, where we are courageous, where we see the big picture, where we um, are resourceful, where we can experience love and peace and harmony. Right? And so um, you can start feeling safe when you know what to do so that you can relax your brain, basically. Okay. The brain always plays a funny part in everything that we do because I have so many radio shows and that brain topic always comes up <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> it does. Now, of course, I know I don't want to offend anyone with this question, but what makes a woman susceptible to sexual abuse? What makes us more successful than men is that as women, you know, because of the the thousands and thousands of years of our ancestry and history, and because we're the weaker mm-hmm. sex, we have believed that in order for us to survive, we have to say yes to everything that's connected to what we think will help us survive. Right, and so we're very out of, like, we make decisions not based on what we want, actually. We often make it based on thinking we have to do it so that we're safe and can survive. And so we will say yes to things that we don't want, just so we don't upset the upper cart. And we will, you know, we will not say no, we will not um, protect ourselves for that reason oftentimes because and it's very deeply ingrained in you know in in just female patterning out of a fear of survival right right so that makes us more subtle and and um, I'm you know I have a daughter now who's 12 I can see that you know like it seems like the girls that are growing up now they're a little bit more um it's it's it has lessened, you know. Like my daughter knows how to say no, and she she knows what's right for her, and um, so I think you know that programming is slowly but surely um, kind of changing because we, as the generation before them, we're working on it. We're realizing, oh, I have a choice. I don't have to say automatically yes. And actually, a lot of um, like empowering yourself has to do with learning that and learning to make decisions based on what feels really good to you and right to you. Because mm-hmm. the truth is, you know, that most of the time our survival is not, not threatened anymore. We don't live in a world where, you know, if we don't submit, we are going to get slaughtered for most of right. us. And I come to find that very true. I think that's why we have so many sexual abuse cases now and you hear a lot of women in the media coming forward because as they were saying one time on Good Morning America when they were interviewing a lot of women, they're afraid to lose their jobs. These women have worked so hard to get to where they are 
some don't want to lose their job, so they don't mind sexual abuse. So you're afraid what your family members might think because growing up, for my mom, it was different. It was hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. We're going to sweep it on the rug and move on. So when I came forward about mine, it was like, okay, child, be quiet. Don't start involving defects and everybody else in my business because now everybody's going to look at me like I'm the bad parent. It's like, hold on, wait a minute. This is not about you. This is about me. I'm the I'm the child, you know. So I think that would make people be quiet. But I, me, on the other hand, I was not quiet. I'm going to speak my truth, and that's what I want people to understand. Speak your truth. Don't let it, do not let them take your power. You have a voice. Use it. Don't wait 20, 30 years talking about, oh, they did this. Talk about it now. Talk about it. And that's kind of why I'm a little furious with what's going on because I'm like, wait a minute. If all this happened, I'm not going to wait 20 or 30 years to say, oh, okay, Bill Cosby, he did this. No offense, but the man is almost in his grave. He had one foot in, one foot out. I understand that people, I understand that they probably didn't want to ruin their career, but at the same time, you waited so long for this. I mean, what are we teaching our young ladies to just be quiet, push it to the side? So we don't want these young ladies to think that it's okay for your abuser to get away with this and you're not supposed to say anything. For you two guys, it's not okay. You speak up, you have a voice, and I want you to use it today. So, Caroline, you know, in you know, your opinion, oftentimes, know, you know, oftentimes the, the reason why we we don't do it is because, you know, oftentimes we love the other person, right, and we don't want to yeah. get them in trouble. We don't want to hurt And so, them. you know, right. the, the, the reality is, though, you know, they are responsible for what they've done, whether we accuse them, whether they get, to, you know, brought to court, yeah. or whether it ever comes out, they have to live it's with what they've done. done. Right. So in a way, like they're worse off than you because you actually, you know, for you to find redemption for yourself, it's much easier than, you know, like just think of yourself if you were somebody who, you know, had, you know, done something really awful to another person. It's going to be much harder to really love yourself and heal, you know, and oftentimes people that are perpetrators, they were victims first. Right. It's very well known that the people that become perpetrators, they become perpetrators because somebody stole their power and now they feel powerless and now they have to go and steal somebody else's power so they can feel a sense of power again. And so I'm really hoping with the work that I'm doing to help everybody to get into their own power, to see that we are all powerless. We don't have to, we don't have to subject others. We can be peaceful and then heal as a collective. Exactly. You, we talked, I heard you mention a little bit, and I think I even threw that in the introduction about the family constellations. Would you mind telling us more about it? No, I'd be happy to. So the best way to talk about family constellations is kind of share my experience because in some ways you have to experience it to really understand it. So for me, when I had my first constellation, I went to a weekend workshop with a group of people that I didn't know. There were two people, a couple that were facilitating the group, and there were 16 others that had all kinds of issues. Some were going through divorce, others had health issues, and then I was there because of the eating disorders. And um, when it was my turn, the facilitator basically asked me to pick people from the audience, the people that didn't know me, they just knew that I was battling these eating disorders, to pick them to represent for 
so I picked a person to represent my eating disorder. I picked a person from the audience to represent my mother and, and then the rest of my family. And then the facilitators asked me to, to place these people in the room. So we were sitting in a circle, and I took these five or six people and kind of placed them in the room. And this is where this work got, that got the name from, because you literally constellate your issue. You, you, put, you, know, you place it in a room spatially. It's not, it's not, uh, has nothing to do with the stars in the sky, although you know, the, scars, stars in the, sky, the stars in the sky also are in a spatial relationship to each other. But so the reason why this work is called constellating is because you're taking representatives for your issue and you're placing them spatially in the room. And what that does is that these people, because they don't know you, they're neutral, right? They don't know your story. They don't have any relationships. They're not attached. They're not hurt by anybody. And um, so they're kind of neutral channels, if you will. And then what happens is that the facilitator kind of interviews these people and talks to them how they feel about each other, if they're sensing anything, if they're noticing anything, because the idea is that the picture that you constellate at first is like the distorted, the dysfunction within your, um, you know, within you. And so the facilitator always looks how the, the, the dysfunction can move to a resolution so that love can flow again between these different pieces. And it could be your inner organs, it could be the, your workplace, or it could be your family, right? So you could do this with any kind of system. And we're all, you know, we're all part of a bigger organism always. And so then through asking, um, these people, that the, the thing that's miraculous about this or so powerful is that basically these people that don't know anything about you are able to tap into a field that's always accessible which is kind of all-knowing. And so the facilitator basically gets the information about the truth of your situation through these people. The, the people work as conduits basically for this information. And so with help of these people and to knowing how to ask the right questions, an underlying issue can made um, really clear. And then you as the client, you're just watching basically this um, take place in front of you. And what happens is your soul and your psyche starts resonating with the truth. And through that, you internally shift. So for me, what, what this constellation actually revealed was that the eating disorders, which I had thought was killing me, actually was keeping me alive. And so it completely changed, right? It completely changed how I was looking at it, how I was feeling about it. It put me from a place where I felt like this thing had power over me and it was killing me into a place of, Oh my God, I'm so grateful. And so then it could leave, you know. And so in, in Constellations work now, today, I do it in groups and I've also developed a process where basically I can step into the different pieces for everybody and can do it one-on-one -on -one with people. And because it goes to the root cause of your issue, you know, sometimes stuff comes out you wouldn't even imagine. I've seen, I've seen Constellations where somebody had lifelong asthma and it turned out that his great aunt was buried alive suffocated and he was carrying that ancestral memory and once that ancestral memory came out like once the end um, the people in the constellation know when something is missing for example or when somebody needs to come in um, they know all kinds of things because they're connected to this knowing field and so in this case you know the end had to come in and he, she had to be acknowledged because it was kind of um, put under the rug and so once that was acknowledged mm -hmm. the asthma left for example and I've you know I have thousands of examples of things like that where we think, you know, we're just us, but we actually carry 
so much cellular memory from our ancestors, seven generations back. Just imagine how many people that is. That impacts how we are today and how we feel and, and what's going on in our life today. So that's just a short, short kind of um, idea of what it really is and what it can do in my, in my own case. You know, it saved my life because um, I was literally not thinking I was going to see um, 30. <clears throat> my prognosis of healing was at 5%. And then within three months of having that constellation, I was completely healed. Like, like I've never had eating disorders. I could eat normally. Um, you know, and before mm. when, I, when there was food, it was uncontrollable. I, it would be like I couldn't stop myself. I would, I would babysit at people's houses just so that I could raid their refrigerator. Like, that's how bad it was. You know? Well, well oh, man, I'm glad you, you hung in for the long haul. Caroline, and you are here. You're a testimony. You're a walking testimony right now. So, Amen. Glory to God. Now, how did you meet? How did you meet your husband, Divine Partner Paul? He actually found me in, in Match.com, and it really happened because <laughs> I had I had gone through several relationships and realizing how I still was giving my power away in thinking. I had to settle for something less. So, for example, the last person I ended up with, he was really amazing in a lot of areas, but he really wasn't very um, interested in raising my children with me. And I really, so basically on the weekends or on the days that I had my kids, I was a single mom. And then when they were gone, we were kind of together, even though we were living in the same house. Right? And so I was kind of, I was settling for that, even though I knew exactly in my heart I wanted to be with a, um, a partner. So, so Paul is my, my second husband. Um, and I, and I knew I wanted to be with a partner um, where I could share everything with and have, a, I love my children. You know, my t- children are a big part. They, they're basically the reason why I kept fighting because I really wanted to have children. And I knew that if I didn't get the eating disorder in control, I would never have children. I would not be able to have children. So they're very important to me. And once I realized how I was still giving my power away, um, I made a decision that I wouldn't settle for anything less but the, the the person that that I that was the person that on that met all my criteria basically, and so I had a, I had basically a new boundary in myself, and then very like it didn't take very long, like within a couple months, um, so I actually wrote on my on my match profile that I was looking for my divine partner. And part of me was thinking, oh, my God, are you crazy? You know, who's going to, like, who's going to read that all? Every guy's going to think I'm crazy. And I was like, no, you know, because I'm, that's what I'm really looking for. I am looking for, for my divine partner, for the person that is divinely appointed to be with me in this lifetime. And, and, uh, and then I just left it at that. And then a week or so later, um, Paul wrote to me and said his first message to me was that he, he thought it was very interesting that a woman could think a partner could be a divine Right, so he really responded to that message. And so part of it was I was really honest about what I wanted. I was allowing myself to really go for what I want without censoring myself. And so that way he really could find me and see me. And then um, we texted a little bit and then had our first date, and we've been together ever since. Oh, so awesome. Yeah. It sounds like almost a fairy tale, but so darn real and, and true. You stepped out on faith and you let us and you stepped back and you did what you had to do. I'm glad for you, for you and your Paul both. Now you mentioned sources earlier, um, free sources. What are some yes. other sources that you have and 
where can people find them at your on your website? Yeah, my website is the womeninthflow.com, women in okay. the F L O W. And you will find the process that will help you to actually transmute the negative emotions into positive ones, which is really one of the most crucial um, tools that helped me to completely turn my life around, you know, running, having sold almost a million dollars in my own services in the last three years from never making more than $10,000, being with my divine partner, owning a house, so, and obviously feeling much better and being healthy, right? But the outer stuff when you do the inner work, the outer stuff falls into place that is in alignment with you. And so the, this tool that's on my website is really one of the main tools that I use that has helped me get there and it has helped my clients create similar results. And then there's another tool that teaches you how to really hear your intuition and know when your intuition is talking to you so that you can be safe and feel good about yourself. And then you can look at the book. You can purchase the book from the website. And also I have a free Facebook group that's called Women in the Flow that you can also access either through Facebook or through my website and um, where you can ask me questions and where I share usually daily inspirations and tools and things like that. Oh, awesome. And what is the most important thing you want our listeners to take away from this interview? The most important thing is really to remember that the, where the power is for you is in working with your own energy and learning how to upgrade your own energy your own frequency, right? We don't have power over other people, we don't have power over circumstances, but we have power over our own energy and our own vibrational state. And you can learn it. It's a skill. Everybody can learn it. Well said, Caroline. I thank you so much for this interview and being here. Please, people, do not forget to pick up Caroline's book, Blossom. You can find it on Amazon. I believe it's on Barnes & Noble. And, Caroline, they can also... They can find it on your website as well, too. Thank you for joining us. I do appreciate it, and I can't wait till you get your second book out and to have you on again. This discussion was so wonderful. It, it opened my eyes to new things. So please, listeners, if you're listening to the replay, share, share, share. And don't forget, you can always catch the archives on my show. But I don't want to leave you out giving the truth of the day for my friend and former guest, Mary Ellen Signovich. Meditation is a powerful tool. You do not have to sit in home to meditate. Simply be quiet and be. Meditation is a powerful tool that allows your mind to become aware of the effects your random thoughts have over you. When you feel down, it is easy to assume there must be something wrong or missing in your life. Meditating helps to teach your mind to think differently. Your feelings have no bearing on what is really going on. Today, observe your thoughts, learn how to lessen the power, they have over your mood. Enjoy the day. And I appreciate you for listening. I will see you the next time on the Bright Side with Technician. And I'm Technicia Day signing off. Thanks for listening to the Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. 